you know what? It's easier to try to spread the gospel to every part of the world than it is to allow the gospel to be spread to every part of your soul. Mm. And we see that now in all kinds of ways with these massive religious figures, free evangelicals, things are coming out, abuses of power, sexual impropriety, abuse in churches, the way they're treating people, right? There's a plethora of ways that lack of transformation is manifesting later in their life, you know, after, in the systems and institutions they're a part of. Because it's easier to get people pumped up than it is for you to actually wake up. You are listening to the Practice Not Perfect podcast, a podcast exploring the link between practice and our spiritual lives rooted in the Christian tradition. Well, hi, I'm here with Kevin Sweeney. He's a pastor, a church planter, an author, podcaster, and the host of the Church Needs Therapy podcast. He's the author of Making of a Mystic. What's the subtitle? It's it's, it's the, my, my journey with mushrooms, my life as a pastor, and why it's okay for everyone to relax. Awesome. Yeah, you got to get the you got to get the subtitle in there. Oh yeah, actually, I have it written down, but it wasn't on the line I was reading. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're you're also the author of the forthcoming book, The Joy of Letting Go, which is due out early 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, and you live with your wife and two children in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, yes, sir. And uh, you have a very interesting book. Um, but mm. before we get into it. Since this is a podcast about practice, I thought I would mm. start with some practice questions, and these don't have to be too spiritual, but what is one thing that you have practiced a lot in your life? It could be learning an instrument or playing a sport, a hobby, a skill you tried to master, but something that mm. you've practiced. I'll, I'll, I'll say one from when I was a kid and then one as an adult. When I was a kid, despite playing all sports, by the time I was a freshman in high school, I only, after my freshman year, I only played basketball. So you get some of that in the book. You know, I tell little glimpses of the story. I was, had pressure on me. I was, you know, supposed to play in college. So I basically worked my whole life to get to a point where I could play college basketball. And right when I was on the edge of doing it, I walked away after this really unusual awakening moment with God. That's a big part of, that's a big part of my story. But practice the amount of time I put in by myself playing basketball as a kid is insane. Mm. I would dribble around the streets of our neighborhood just to dribble, just aim, just, just, just endlessly dribbling around the neighborhood. I would go to the, the amount of jump shots I took by myself. And I'll tell people when you're practicing to really be competitive as an athlete, you know, especially in college, or if you're trying to play professionally, you don't practice haphazardly right you practice very intentionally and very like full speed so when I say I would practice it was a very like professional mindset at a young age of how much I would practice like I'm gonna go do this for an hour right now I'm gonna go put in 45 minutes I'm gonna go put in like four to six hours a day doing this so for me I get that a lot from my dad my dad's a very self-disciplined person and I learned how to work really hard by myself with no external motivating forces around me at the time. And that also, that part of my personality went into, as I got older, have this awakening moment with God and realize this is the only real thing I've ever experienced. I'm giving my life to this. And I feel like I've carried 
some of that energy into how I think about silence and spiritual practices too. I've spent the last, I'm 37, you know, 20-ish years, there's been a lot of very intentional times of silence. Not randomly stumbling into it, but this is an intentional practice, this 20-minute contemplative sit, this walk around the back bay when I lived in Costa Mesa in, in Orange County. This is a time for me to be present and be awake and not produce and just be aware and receive that eternal yes from God over me. So when I was young, basketball, there's other things too I won't get into, but as I'm older, definitely the practice, the intentionality of silence is very much a integral woven into my regular everyday life kind of thing. That's neat. And, you know, that's kind of why I asked the question, because I think how we practice anything is is related to our spiritual practice as well. Mm, yeah. um, so the other practice question I have is, what is something you used to do, but you feel out of practice at? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, for people who weren't, aren't privy to the conversation James and I were having before he hit record, we have a bit of a shared history. You know, he, spent, he grew up half in Hawaii and I've been out here for almost 20 years, basically. And we actually have a shared experience of being a part of the same church, or at least connected and aware of a similar church. And, yeah. you know, Wayne Cordero, big four square guy, especially in Hawaii, he, I want to say created the devotional practice. Like not that he was the first one to ever journal with the Bible, but the idea of like, he uses this acronym SOAP. Mm, yeah. That so many people use, right? <clears throat> and SOAP stands for scripture, observation, application, prayer. And early on in my spiritual journey, when I was a part of New Hope, I did that very consistently, right? I would sit down. I was, it was very evangelical of me. I would read my Bible. I would journal about it with a group of friends at a Starbucks or whatever. And it was great. And I loved it. And I, I wasn't really aware of the Bible before that in a personal sense. So it was a new practice and it was really great to be initiated into this larger way of Jesus and the story of cosmic redemption. And I loved it. And I don't do that anymore. And I haven't done that for a very, very long time. Well, Besides a couple of moments here and there, I, and I, I would even tell people this probably when I was pastoring, but like, I don't read the Bible devotionally. Yeah. And I was a, I was a church planner. My wife and I led a church for 10 years and I'm, you know, leading people into hopefully this story and leading people into this fullness in Christ and ho hopefully guiding them into the way of Jesus. But my primary practice has been silence and even more specifically like centering prayer with a little bit of my own version of Lexio Divina with the, with miss with the great mystics historically. So there was a time where that practice was very helpful and then I stopped doing it and I really don't do it anymore. And I don't feel bad about it. It's nothing like that at all. It's just, there's nothing in me that has any desire to do that. You know, my practice has evolved over the years. So yeah. no, that's the devotional soap. You know, the four, my four squared friends would be very disappointed in me, but there's not much soap devotions going on for me. Well, I, I, where I used to tell people that um, it, the idea of reading your Bible every day is never told you in the Bible. So you got that from mm. somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Uh, no meditating on scripture is you know yeah. mm. but that's a different that's a different energy already than mm. 
than you. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a, a guiding, to say something else, a guiding idea for that for me is information is not the same as transformation. Yeah. Seeing yeah. the path is not the same way, same thing as doing the path. And it's very clear to me that people can read the Bible religiously every single day. And one, not only is it, can it not, you know, is it for some people not transforming them, but actually for some people, I think it's, it's an unconscious defense mechanism to protect them from actually experiencing the truth of their own unprocessed pain, their own illusions, their own darkness. So people can actually use the Bible as a way of avoiding an honest encounter with themselves and an honest encounter with God. That doesn't mean it's like that for everybody because the scriptures can become a transformative practice for you. But my suspicion and what I've seen due to a lack of transformation in so many people who are very aware of the information in the Bible, but don't appear to be embodying a Christ-like way of being in the world all the time, compassion, empathy, understanding, acceptance, inclusivity, et cetera, is, oh, this is information. You memorize the scripture, but the point is to actually become that which these scriptures are pointing to, this transformed, compassionate person. So learning about God is not the same as directly experiencing the divine for yourself and actually experiencing the awakening that comes from that. Yeah, you're saying some things I want to get into. I, you did say in the, the book. Yeah, I'm jumping it. I'm jumping ahead. Dude. I no, it's, fi- it's fine. It's fine. It's great stuff. I mean, I, I was thinking uh, one of my favorite chapters in your book is when you talk about the difference between uh, surfing bowls, Alamoana bowls, mm-hmm. and like knowing about it because you can read a map. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it's but there's something very different about actually um, getting out there and uh knowing that the reef is right there that <laughs> mm, absolutely um, so um and then you also shared a story uh this i think this was a different chapter but maybe the same but you were talking about a guy leading a leadership conference thing and he said you know, don't bring your bible uh because mm-hmm. because evangelicals use the bible to hide from god or <laughs> mm. um so so that's that's all that, and and I I hear what you're saying in terms of the experience and the embodied uh, life of of a mystic. But but as as we're getting this, your your book is called Making of a Mystic. So I thought maybe we could define some terms here mm. for folks. What what is a mystic? Mm, that's a good question. What's funny about this this specific question is I probably answer it differently like they're differently all the time depending on when people ask me i would say in the most like simple distilled senses the mystic is the one whose life and faith is not defined by conceptual beliefs about god but it's defined by direct experience direct realization of god and of the spirit in yourself so So that doesn't mean the mystic doesn't have beliefs about god but the mystic is very aware that our deepest sense of self our true self our transcendent self is not defined by the beliefs we have or how we see god it's it's not beliefs i hold about god it's the direct experience of being held Mm. by god right there's spiritual intelligence this is what i believe and think and there's spiritual experience a direct realization of spirit unfolding within me so the mystic is one whose faith is not here's what i believe it's here's 
how and who I'm becoming because of this direct knowing of God for myself. So for the mystic, it's direct experience of the sacred, right? The, the ground is not a belief system. The ground is an actual yeah. knowing, which is actually more deeply a being known by spirit for yourself. It's not seeing, it's being seen that defines our journey. It's not loving God. It's being loved by God that actually holds us together, which is that, and that, that sense of this mystical, this transcendent, this true self is always before, beneath, and beyond any beliefs we have about God. So the mystic knows you can have beliefs, but you at your deepest level are not those beliefs. It's a, it's a foundationally different starting point for this journey of faith. And yeah. And most people are used to who are like, believe this. And I guess you're going to be free after that. Yeah. Well, I do think that, I mean, at least uh, in our shared evangelical journey, we, we were shaped in a spirituality that was at least open to the, the, the uh, presence of the spirit and how, mm. how we experience God. There, there was an experiential dimension, but a lot of it was, uh, rooted in like a particular understanding of, mm. of yeah see that that's an interesting comment you know the shared experience I'm assuming you're talking about like four square and gifts of the spirit and speaking yeah. in tongues and all that right and I think there's a strength there for Pentecostals of Pentecostals believe you can directly experience know and in the and from their perspective with a very specific way of understanding it hear from God yeah. Right. The strength there is there's a direct one-to-one -one knowing direct realization. I'm very, that's a good thing. Yeah. Now in the Pentecostal tradition, that experience oftentimes is supposed to present itself in a very particular way. It's oftentimes spectacular. It's overwhelming. It's extravagant sure. and manifesting itself in other ways, speaking in tongues or visions or whatever. Whereas I think the journey for the mystic is says, yes, to the direct experience, but also the recognition of really along the way though, it's subtle. Right. It's smaller. Yeah. It's it's awareness. It's 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 more often to me, the further journey requires less and less stimulation and spectacle, and it's more and more quiet and a subtle receiving of the divine flow that is always and infinitely pouring itself out to us, as opposed to, I remember Alan Hirsch a long time ago, mm -hmm. maybe he's talking about Pentecostals or something, I don't know exactly, but he's like, man, when you go to a worship service or he's describing it in an environment many of us have been in, he's like, in the way they're praying, like, Lord, would you just come and would you just come into this place, God, and that whole kind of Right. He's like, you think Jesus is like bungee jumping because he's on top. And if we pray enough, he's going to bungee jump in. Oh, my gosh, he's here. Oh, and then he goes back out just for a second. For me, there's no trying to pump myself up for a massive God experience. It's actually through silence and solitude and meditation, slowly becoming that which is always true about me and always present in the world. So. Right. Well, and, and that's a real, you're right. That's a real different energy. If you're, if you're doing a sitting practice where you're in silence, um, you learn pretty quickly that whatever happens in that time that you're sitting is what happens. And it, it doesn't necessarily fit the mold of what you expect in a charismatic worship service. We're like, Oh, I felt the spirit. Like, well, mm. I felt tired and distracted, um, <laughs> but but I noticed it. So it was, 
it was part of the journey. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's great. Um, I think that as you get towards the end of the book, you you also kind of say this thing on mysticism or the mystic is the those that that know they're going to die. <laughs> um, mm, yeah, yeah, strange. yeah. Um, uh, and and it seems to me a lot of the ego death is is kind of where you move in the book um, mm-hmm. and cultivating a non-judgmental awareness of where we see our egos mm-hmm. uh, but let's let's go to the beginning and your wonderful uh, subtitle says my journey with mushrooms and so I have to ask this question I know you've answered this on every podcast but how how are mushrooms a missionary Mm. yeah so james is referring to i think it's the second or third chapter i have a chap i have a a title of one of the chapters is called mushrooms and missionaries and i tell a story in that book about a young in that chapter about a young thomas merton so one of the great mystics one of the great contemplatives of the 20th century from my perspective one of the great christians of the 20th century period I agree. And a young Thomas Merton, when he's starting to move towards his awakening and enlightenment and transformation and journey to eventually becoming a monk, he finds out there's this visiting Hindu priest and teacher coming to lecture at maybe one of the divinity schools, like one of the Ivy League divinity schools or something. And he goes to listen to him and he wants to go hear from him and he wants to go see guidance from him. And his name was Mahanambrata Brahmachari. And when this young Merton, it's the thing about a young white male in the west goes to this hindu priest to seek guidance and the fascinating thing about that story was this hindu monk tells a young thomas merton to go read saint augustine's confessions and to go read thomas akempis's imitation of christ and let's say merton reads these let's say he integrates them into his journey and they become a part and companions on his further path towards becoming a Christian, becoming a Catholic, becoming a monk. Well, what's interesting about that is if a missionary in its healthy sense of the term, right? So we can all, we always have to make sure when we talk about that term missionary as a sidebar, yes, that term is always over the past, however many hundred years, completely tied up in a knot of yeah, Eurocentricity cool. and white supremacy and domination and empire. And that's why that word's so triggering and nobody wants to hear it. So I acknowledge all of that. And that needs, hopefully everybody who's listening is dismantling all of those things in their own way in the same way I've sought to do for the past however many years. So I acknowledge all of that. But in the healthy sense of the term missionary, a missionary is one who is pointing someone further towards Christ. That's a good thing. Yeah. towards life towards healing towards joy towards peace this, these are great gifts we can offer people and with that understanding of the term that hindu priest was a missionary for thomas merton because he was point i don't think it was in his job description but he no. was pointing a young merton towards the fullness of christ on this path and when i hear that story i think that is exactly how mushrooms functioned in my own life without youth group, without knowing anything about evangelicals, without anything like that around me. When I was doing mushrooms very quickly, I sensed something in the mushroom experience saying, yes, but keep going. Mm. Like they were a signpost pointing me to a future I couldn't see 
this freedom I desired but wasn't sure existed into this truth that I hoped for but what didn't know whether or not it was guaranteed because I was on a quest at that point. So it was like the mushroom experience would give me a glimpse while I knew the goal was much further ahead. Like they would give me just enough energy and excitement to keep moving forward because of what I saw and experienced. They would bless me with just enough of a taste of the possibilities of freedom to keep going further in my own journey and living into what I hoped for was an entirely different future. So they were that which was kept pointing me beyond themselves towards the fullness of Christ and God and love and grace, which I would eventually encounter, you know, right around Christmas time when I was 18. So yeah, man, they were, they were, they were that interesting. Those, those were my sermons. Those were my guidance. Those were me sitting down one-on-one with the pastor. Like, what should I do? It was like, there was the, the wisdom of the ages for me was flowing through those experiences for me. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And it, you, you're really clear that mushrooms weren't the thing. <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that, and I've never shied away from that, like pastoring and leading for 10 years. I'm like this, I've never ever had any shame or issues owning my experience, which mushrooms were a, a huge part of at that point. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, I appreciate that and that you're like, you owned the experience. You don't say people using mushrooms are transformed. And I, I, you have, you have this great line where you say the transformation happens afterwards. <laughs> um, Absolutely. No, so it's not, it's not while you're tripping, but it's as you're coming out and then you're like, have to come back to life. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that, and that part's true where, you know, I have a chapter called peaks and paths Mm-hmm. It's about peak experiences and how that which we experience and encounter and feel so strongly at the peak, right? A peak experience for some people, it could be through psychedelics. Some people it could be, I'm going to the next yeah. passion conference or something, you know, there's different versions. Very there's charged. evangelical, or yeah. I'm going to burning man and I'm going to take ketamine for four days. You know, people have their different in our culture. Now people have many different paths they're taking to seek life. Right. And, Oftentimes, even if they're different religious traditions or practices, the spirit and the desire that is seeking them is actually the same from my perspective. They're seeking the same things, you know, through different places. And whether it's a church experience, whether it's somebody taking psychedelics or somebody having any like going on a hike and having this profound sort of, you know, experience in nature and the sense of awe, which totally can happen. The real work of transformation and the further journey toward freedom does not happen during the peak experience. It always happens after. Yeah. Right. That's why the classic experience, I go to, I go to my youth camp and I'm on fire for Jesus. And I come back in a week later and life's the same. Or I had this profound moment at, you know, like I said, it could be, I went to Burning Man. I thought I was going to come home and quit my job and change forever. And then I got stuck in the same cycle, right? We can all do that. I'm like the real work extends beyond the religious experience because it comes from the consistent practices what is this podcast about the practices that allow us to remain in spirit that allow us to remain in love the real work is not how high you were that night or how much you cried for jesus raising your hands that time during worship it's 
whether or not you're going to face your own shadow and feel those painful things that need to arise within you. That's the real work. The real work is confronting, naming, and letting go of all of the illusions you've had about life. That's the real work. The real work is surrendering all of the expectations you had on life and how life's supposed to work like this, but it doesn't, and now I'm angry. No, the real work is surrendering all of that into this infinite presence and spaciousness of spirit. That is where the long-lasting, subtle, and deep transformation comes from. Not from the peak. It's what are we doing on the path that allows us to become that which we believe so strongly while we were on the peak. You have to become that every single day. And that comes through the alchemy of practices and meditation. Yeah. So I, I want to circle back to the Bible <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and I mean, because you were talking about the Bible and you're talking about religious experience. Uh, and there's a sense where religious religious practices can be helpful they can help mm -hmm. us apprehend and notice reality around us where we experience this the holy spirit where we're experiencing the presence of christ in in new ways they can also be ways that we spiritually bypass reality mm -hmm. um, and get distracted uh you know using the bible as a distraction or using um, whatever other experience, worship music, or, um, you know, and, and what you were saying, I was thinking of as a youth going to like, like camps as a kid where like, it was, it was a, you know, a manipulated experience of like, oh, I, ex I, I, I experienced God here. Uh, and it, it was so disconnected from the, the rest of life. Um, that I didn't even have to think about life while I was at a camp. <laughs> so, mm, so. Mm. Um, so I just want to, could you say something about that idea of like, how, how do we practice in a way that helps us engage mm. reality? Mm, yeah, that's good. You know what? It's easier to try to spread the gospel to every part of the world than it is to allow the gospel to be spread to every part of your soul. Mm. And we see that now in all kinds of ways with these massive religious figures, free evangelicals, things are coming out, abuses of power, sexual impropriety, abuse in churches, the way they're treating people, right? There's a plethora of ways that lack of transformation is manifesting later in their life, you know, after, in the systems and institutions they're a part of. Because it's easier to get people pumped up than it is for you to actually wake up. It's easier for me to work hard for God than it, than it is to allow the hard work of God within me, disassembling, dismantling my own defense mechanisms, my own things to actually allow God to really transform me at a deep level. You know, so much religious activity I say in the book is just the ego dressed up in church clothes, trying to stay busy. Mm. Wow. It's just easier to keep going. It's easier to keep grinding. It's easier to set up chairs. It's easier to teach another Bible study. It's easier to preach another sermon. It's easier to sing another worship song than it is to practice the authenticity and vulnerability that allows for unguarded. This is an important phrase, the unguarded intimacy with the divine. The unguarding, the not protecting, the not pretending, the no pretension, the complete bearing 
right? This nakedness before life and God and ourselves and maybe one or two trusted other people in our life who can help facilitate that process. That is in that place, knowing your love there, that's where you know this is good news. And all of the religious activity in and of itself can be good. It's good to set up chairs. Pastors, you know, a community needs that, right? It's good to help teach a Bible study. It's good to sing for the community. These are all good things. But the dangerous part is all of these things unconsciously can become different ways we actually protect ourselves from the truth of our own life and the truth of our own pain because we're just busy for God, mm. right? It's a lot easier to just be busy for God than it is to actually surrender and open your heart up to the divine about all of the ways in which you still need to be healed, all of the ways you're still hustling for your worth, all of the ways I'm still living for the expectations of others outside of a direct experience of God. That's the practices are helpful if they're helping get us there. Yeah. And if they're not, eventually, not only are they not helpful, but they're counterproductive because it can make us believe we are doing the real work of transformation because we're doing so much Jesus-y stuff yeah. without actually practicing the way of Christ, which is a whole different journey of compassion and acceptance and all of these different things. So yeah. are those practices helping you be more honest and open in the presence of God or are they distracting you from that those are helpful things to think about when it comes to where how we're spending our energy and what we're spending our energy on when it comes to religious rituals and practices yeah well I mean I I I still work as a pastor and you've been a pastor and I mean I love the religious rituals <laughs> mm. but I also am aware of ways that just propping up an institution allows people to hide. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, and yeah. To, so people don't get the wrong idea. Think yeah. about some of the historical practices in the church. They have practice like confession. Okay, well that can become ritualized to the point where it means nothing. I'm supposed to go to a priest and I'm supposed to say this, right? Yeah. The problem is not the substance of it. It's how we relate to it. That's the problem because the substance of confession is a beautiful way for us to practice being honest with somebody else, which helps us actually be honest with ourselves and with God. That person holding space for me in confession might just be what I need in flesh and blood to trust that it's actually the spirit who's holding space for right. me and accepting me. That's a, that's a, and to me, I'm like, we think the rituals are for God when God's like, no, the rituals are for you. Yeah. Confession isn't something God needs from us. It's something we need for ourselves to be whole and to be honest. So I'm like, we always think we're doing stuff for God. God's like, no, I put that in place to help you. Those are rituals that are supposed to help align you enough with truth and with grace to experience it for yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I always think of this. There's a Bonhoeffer quote from Life Together where he's talking about confession and he says, we do it because we need to hear the truth that we are forgiven. And unless we hear it in a human voice, we don't believe it. Um, mm. And that is really different than, um, than, than the experience of going to confession so that you can um, feel good and keep doing what you're doing. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> so. 
And I think that speaks to the power of, I mean, the real, real power of the body of Christ. I mean, that to me, that metaphor is so important for humanity and for what it means to be human and what it means to be with each other, because most people are not going to dedicate their entire life to the mystical direct I'm giving my life to the direct experience of God. It's just not going to happen. You know, I'm not an idealist at all, right? I'm just not that guy. Like most people I know and like in West and our culture, it's driven with, you know, productivity and it's driven at a frenetic pace and all that stuff. Like most people aren't going to spend a lot of times in their life in 20 minutes of silence at a time. They're not, but that's the power of the body of Christ is the spirit doesn't just show up in the person next to you or through the person next to you. It shows up as the person next to you, that person holding your hands and placing their hand on your shoulder to pray for you and say, you're okay here. You're safe. You're loved. Even after you just said something you never thought you would say out loud, <laughs> that is the person who is receiving that they are receiving the substance of grace and mercy from God through and as that person, that is the power of the church and community and flesh and blood. So all, especially communal practices and rituals is like, that's what we do for each other. Yeah. We don't just show each other God's love. We become God's love and presence and holding space. That is an amazing thing to think about and speaks to the power of these communal practices yeah. that we have and why they're so vital for a, a substantive life in Christ. So in the book, you were talking about your role as a pastor. And I guess, imagine your church has had its last service. Is Am I right? Or mm -hmm. Yeah. At, in, at the end of May. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a big shift. Uh, have you learned anything new in that transition? Well, let's see. Our last Sunday was the end of May. So it's been about, let's, let's see, June, July, August, September. It's been, what, four months? Have I learned anything new since the transition? I think, one, the helpful part for me of this transition for my wife and I, who are co-founders and we're leaders at the church. And she was really the engine that, that got the church going. You know, she's the, she's the gatherer. She's the driven one like that. And yeah. without her, it would have never started. It would have never become what it was. So it's true for both of us, but I, along the way was not so over identified with my role at the church that I couldn't envision a life beyond it. I didn't just believe conceptually. I knew in, when we talk about embodied in practices, I knew in my heart and my body, I am not imagined. Wow. I am not the role I have it imagined. I am not the, I am not teaching every Sunday. Those are things I do. Even while I was doing it, I said, imagine is the primary vehicle through which my life and the life of God is flowing in me and through me and as me into the world, but I am not that. That's a vehicle and it won't be there forever because I knew coming into it, I'm going to do this for about 10 years. I just sensed that. And it was about 10 years when I did it, which is interesting. And so I think the transition, what I've learned or just maybe not learned, but just have even known even more in my bones is man, life just keeps going. Like that's, that's a little joke I would say to people and imagine when we're talking about frustrating, frustrating things or life's tough. I beg life 
just keeps going. Like you think this is the breaking point? No, it's gonna keep going. You think this is the end, but it keeps going. And for me, after Imagine's over, through writing, through podcasting, through other things that will materialize when the time's right in my life, like the substance of life is the same. Yeah. I had no crisis of identity leaving Imagine because I'm like, I'm still doing, saying, and living the same way. It's still the same energy within me. It's the same spirit in the world that's unfolding. It's just the way in which I'm living now and doing it is different. But it's this to me, it's the same. It's different and it's exactly the same. So I think that's a very comforting and a very freeing experience to be like, that was a de- that was about a decade of my life. And you give a lot. And it was a church plant. So you give even more because church plants are harder. Sure. My my buddy Phil Wood says getting hired in a church that's already there is cheating. Because <laughs> it's not the same as church planting, because the the intensity of it is just increased exponentially and in how hard it is. But no matter how hard it was, no matter how much we gave, no matter how much you sacrifice, how much you love, how much loss you deal with, which is all a part of it, that, that, that was what I did for that 10 years. And there's life beyond it. And I don't think God is any less faithful to me or interested in me now that I'm not pastoring a congregation. I think the same risks I was taking, the same faith I was having, the same trust I was living with is still the same right now. And the same spirit who kept building bridges when it feels like you're walking to a cliff in your life is doing the same thing in my life right now. So to me, what do you learn? It's like, it's the same. That, w- that, that is one way to do it. And there's another way. And there's a, there's a million other ways to do it. Like R- Rumi says, there's a, a, a million or a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Yeah. And I would say there's a thousand ways to, to love your neighbor too. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I pastor a church and a ministry that they did for 15 years just died. (laughs) Mm. Uh, And, and part of my role is saying, well, okay, we can't do that anymore. It's not, it's not possible given the age of the congregation. But what does it mean to live into our calling to connect with others and minister to the world where we're at and the thing the thing is not the thing (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. it's uh it's the 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 heart of what it means to to live meaningfully as a Mm, exactly that's the difference there's a difference between the structure and the substance yeah between the form and the flow the structure can change of my life my daily routines my practices when i'm in the structure changes the substance of my life and of the divine presence flowing into this world is the same. The form changes, the flow remains the same. So for me, I just feel that so deeply. So it's actually quite amazing to be living into that right now. And I'm super, the ending was really hard. Yeah. Oh, I'm, like I, Right now, my wife and I, we were talking about it yesterday. So yesterday, the Sunday was a year anniversary of when we reopened the church essentially after shutdown and COVID like we were you know we're doing once a month stuff but that was our reopening and what we thought was a rebuilding chapter of about two years and that would be our last chapter you know our last dance after watching the Michael Jordan doc my wife and I yeah we were like okay this is about a two-year chapter and about four to six weeks into reopening we thought this is the last chapter but it's not a rebuilding one Mm. and it's a lot shorter than we thought so 
right now, a year ago, I was entering into like one of the, if not the hardest six month chapter of like my adult life. Yeah. Accepting that, come, fully embracing it, planning to come back and communicate it and then living in the wake of that. So I'm really, so when I say that, I'm really, really grateful to be where I am right now, yeah. but also that journey of ending, no matter, to, I would tell people the mystic is the one who lives with no resistance. Right. The mystic can live with pure acceptance. That That is the non-dual embracing of reality as a seamless unified field for what it is, is it's the accepting of everything for exactly what it is right now. I don't need to change anything, fix anything, manipulate, coerce anything or anyone to be any different than what it is right now to be okay. That is the pure acceptance of the mystic. Yes, but grief is still real when you do that. Yeah. Just because you accept something doesn't mean you don't feel it. It just means you're not fighting the suffering. You're not fighting it. You're feeling it. So even though I was in that place of acceptance, the grief and the letting go and the emotions that come from that is very, very real. So it's just for me, it's really weird. Like a year ago, I was like just entering into what I didn't realize would become one, the end. And then two, such a hard, hard, you know, emotionally heavy season. So I'm with, so the things I say about where I'm at now are very real, but it's because of the real letting go and acceptance and grief that you have to do to allow resurrection to come on its own time. Yeah. We, we want to control and manipulate it. Like I grieved it. I, can something new come a week later? And it's like, it's been three days, it's three days, <laughs> in the grave, three days. So. <laughs> winter usually lingers longer than we want it to. And, yeah. and liminal spaces usually are a lot stretch out further than we're comfortable with. Yeah. I'm, my uh, had... I'm going to, I need to step off real quick. I'm, I can still hear you though. I just need to press something right now. You're... Um, I've had my own experiences of, of, uh, grieving and dying. Um, I probably fought it more than you, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but resurrection comes, you're right. It comes in its own time. <laughs> That's why, you know, you mentioned it earlier when you talk about like the resisting and the fighting, you know, the, the last chapter in the book, I think before the outro is called the mystic is dead. Yeah. And I, early in that chapter, I say all mystics know that death is the secret to life. Yeah. And in your first half of life, you don't want to hear that. In your 20s, you don't even, that's not even real to you yet. Because it's just mostly ego ambition and you're just driving and fighting and grinding. And that's okay. You know, that's usually developmentally where people are. But the mystics know that surrendering, these are all forms of death, surrendering control, which is a form of death, right. is the only thing required to feel secure. Think about that. It's a paradox. Letting go of the need to protect ourselves is the unexpected path toward being safe. I've, those, the paradoxes at the depths of reality that for me are just hilarious because they're so crazy and they're so true and they're so liberating. Like releasing any expectations on life is what opens up to the possibility of being content with life. Like dying is what makes living possible. And the mystic is the one who doesn't resist the death the mm. mystic trusts life and trusts death it trusts light and trusts darkness because both of them cross and resurrection for the mystic death and life joy and pain they're not separate entities they are different experiences on the same seamless path towards life 
death is not seen as this unexpected, how dare God or life give me this? No, it's a part of the whole thing. And so when it comes to suffering, pain and death, the things you got to let go of all the hard things, you don't have to learn to enjoy it, but you do have to learn to embrace it. It means I can take the hard things, the heavy things, the painful things, even the traumatic things. And if you, you can't see me on camera, but it's like I'm embracing like a person right now, you have to take it and embrace it and receive it into your heart and absorb it in the same way you would something good. And in doing the accepting of that is what exhausts it of its power and eventually allows resurrection to happen. And for, that's why in my second book, I have it in the joy of letting go. I have a chapter where I say the cross is an icon of acceptance. Mm. What Jesus did on the cross, absorbing and taking in death, evil, sin, call it whatever you want, darkness, taking it all into himself, absorbing it all, exhausting of it, its power and moving to resurrection. That journey in Jesus is what we all have to do in order to move towards more life. Yeah. Over and over and over and over endlessly, we are in that cycle in our lives. Oh, I love that the cross is the icon <laughs> of mm. acceptance. And, um, why is it okay for everyone to relax? Because it ain't that serious. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the funny thing where someone could be like, Man, Kev talks about death so much and pain so much and embracing darkness like he must be you know masochistic or he must whatever it is be drawn to the darkness i'm like no i talk about death so much because of how much i believe in life i talk about embracing the pain so much because of how real i know joy is i talk about the crosses of our lives so often because of how natural and organic resurrection is when you embrace it so to me when you've gone through, like the mystic is the one who voluntarily choose, chooses to die. The mystic freely, this is where the resistance part comes in. The mystic freely lets go of things most people have to be forced to over years, five years of fighting that thing. And then you finally allow yourself to submit to it. And then you're okay. The mystic is like, you could have done that in five minutes. You wasted five years of anger and frustration and bitterness when you could have let go of that in five hours. And so to me, I'm like, the mystic doesn't take things so serious. That's why it's okay to relax. Like you are this cosmic vision. Like I used to, I don't even know if I mentioned this in, in the first book, but when I, the first thing someone ever asked me to write, it was for like this church planning thing. Uh, we, we, we started our church through V3, a church planning network with like J.R. Woodward and Dan White. Love those guys. Still, still connected with them to this day. And the first thing I think they ever asked me to write, I wrote this article for them called No One in Kyrgyzstan Cares About Your Church. Nice. I mean, most people don't even know Kyrgyzstan's a real country. Yeah. And that's the point of there's, let's say, I don't even know how many people there are. Let's say millions of people that you've never heard of and who will never hear of you who have so many problems, just like you have problems and they'll never care about yours and you'll never care about theirs. And to me, the relativizing of and the trivializing almost of our experience when you zoom out more and more is like, we take on this weight as if we're holding up the universe on our shoulders ourselves. When think about imagine, you know, near the end, there's like what, 130 people in the church. 
and what I think I'm holding together the whole universe that's 130 people and even before we would do worship on a Sunday and you know you gather people and pray I would say you know we're just one church on one island in a chain of islands and one country and you keep zooming out you know and then to the point where we're in the cosmos I'm like we're all living almost on the edge of nothingness and meaninglessness and yet when we zoom back in this is the most sacred and beautiful work we can be doing it's both to me and I don't take things so seriously because the mystic has had their ego so radically decentered that they know we're not the point of this we're just a part of it so take a deep breath your life is an offering offer what you have courageously surrender the outcomes and just it is what it is. and then after now that i do that i can be present to my kids i can enjoy this simple day at the beach i can have one tear fall down my face just looking at a plumeria in silence because of the beauty of everything that's been like it ain't that serious like to me like my buddy larry who was the only besides my wife and i the only like pastor like later on that we like hired on for a long time he was like you know community pastor basically um he he says he he, he says everyone swears they're the goddamn president <laughs> nice <laughs> it's like to me i'm like we can relax because it ain't that serious yeah you failed guess what it's okay oh my gosh you you were humiliated no one showed up to your event and a week later no one's even thinking about it it's it's okay we can there's a playfulness of you can just keep offering what you have to the world and then when it works it's great and when people care it's cool and if they don't it doesn't really matter because no not most people aren't their life the universe is not going to implode when you fail it's just your your little universe gets shaken up the universe itself is still unfolding (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate you know i i love your book because you have this playfulness and how you how you talk about these things like you said a whole bunch of really deep things in uh in our conversation but you also say that and and then like you know make a joke the next moment um and i mm. um i i absolutely appreciate that it's it's there's something real that we need to press into but it's not supposed to be a chore <laughs> mm. it is it is a, a, this unfolding and um a, and we learn in the process mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's it's like when david foster wall says the truth will set you free but not until it's done with you mm-hmm. it's yeah. that it's a paraphrase i might be wrong but he essentially says that and it's like man the work of acceptance it's hard yeah letting go my second book it's what's funny is like the only thing I want to write about is the only thing people don't want to do, which is letting go. So that puts me in a dilemma as a writer, but I'm like letting go acceptance, having courage, forgiveness. These are all really, really hard, but the playfulness is, but once you do them, you're okay. Everything that you think is going to kill you or end you, it doesn't. And, and actually there's more freedom and joy and spaciousness on the other side. So that's why the heaviness and the hilariousness for me are so interconnected. Of course, it's heavy, but it's also hilarious because on the other side, you're like, I always thought that would end me and it doesn't. And I'm actually better off out here when I've done the real work. So it's both for me. You know, if you you read a if you read a fragment of my book, you're like, this guy's always talking about heavy, serious stuff. And you meet me in person. You're like, this dude doesn't take anything serious. And it's both. 
Yeah. Is the mystic for the mystic. It's both at the same time. Yeah. So lastly, like where, where can people connect with your work? <laughs> uh, I would say following along my own journey day to day on Instagram is where I'm the most active. So just at Kevin Sweeney one is probably the best place with that. And I'm always posting stuff on there from my work um, and letting people know other things coming out, books and other things I'm doing. So Instagram, my podcast called The Church Needs Therapy, where roughly half the time I'll do my own teachings and the other half I'm doing interviews with, with people on there. And Amazon.com, the making isn't a great Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever, but like The Making of a Mystic, the first book I have, my second book, The Joy of Letting Go is coming out January 3rd, will probably be up for pre-order before that. So yeah, those two books, Instagram, the podcast right now is where I'm focusing my energy as I'm in my own season of, I'm in my own season of uncertainty again. I'm in my own season of, I'm walking forward, but can't see the full path. And all I can do is take the next couple of steps and trust the spirit actively co-creates that path. Like to me, I'm like the courage of us and the creativity of God co-enact your path in life. Hmm. you have to walk them together there the, our courage and god's creativity are actually one i think i say that in my second book i don't even remember my third <laughs> i don't remember but i know i was recently thinking about that yeah but i'm still for people saying the death the letting go like i'm in another one of those places in my life start like, starting new after 10 years so i don't just the things i write about i actually live and i'm in another one of those places right now and I have kids and those risks are very real. I have a wife, we have a whole life together. And yet to me, the, the adventure keeps going. You know, we have to keep on taking risks and keep on allowing ourselves to be born again. Well, I am looking forward to that second book coming out and, uh, and thank you for the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much, James. This was great, man. And yeah, in the future, whenever new things come out, I'm going to hit you up to come back on the podcast and congrats and, uh, you know, hoping for good things, great guests and, you know, not only good content and offering for others, but also joy for yourself along the way with this podcast. So stoked for you. Thank you very much. You can find links to Kevin Sweeney's Instagram and to this podcast in the show notes. You can also order his book wherever fine books are sold. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you enjoyed this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Until next time, keep practicing.